0: You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com/slash victoryalabang. How many of you have been convicted so far as we journey through the book of James? You know, my encouragement for all of us is that you go and read the book of James uh, over and over again. It is a practical book. I know that um, this is uh, somehow during the first few hundred years of Christianity. This has even been a a, a very controversial book, particularly with uh, Martin Luther, and I'm going to point about that later on. So why don't we go ahead and dive and uh, look at the scripture this morning. We're going through the scriptures uh, from the book of James. This is a six-week series. Uh, This is week number four. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active. Everybody say active. It was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as what? As righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. Now, we're going to talk about this in a while. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this word that we're about to talk about today. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word from this pulpit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand what it really means for us to have genuine Faith, faith that truly justifies, faith that really saves. We thank you, Lord God, that you would allow each and every one of us to walk out of this place changed with a renewed vision and passion, Lord God, to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, when you look at the book of James, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so, you know, how many of you know that, you know, growing in the same household has its own advantages as well? He's probably, you know, looking at Jesus and watching him. And, you know, he, you know, Jesus grew up as a normal kid, but yet later on when he was called in the ministry, something changed when he started, you know, preaching the word and, you know, when God released him finally uh, to, 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 uh, to do kingdom work. And so when you talk about James, James is a person who, you know, who wrote about the essentials of Christianity, he was not confused that the the only way to be saved is by faith in the work of Christ. I want to go ahead and say that because you know when you talk about the scriptures, particularly that we have read, you know when you talk about you know faith that justifies it really uh, has to be with works. Where does that come in? You know when we talked about our last series, the Great Exchange, We looked at the book of Ephesians, and the apostle Paul was so clear that, you know, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It is the gift of God, not by what? Not by works. Everybody say, not by works. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, not by works. You and I are saved, not by works. Now, maybe now, as we're reading the book of James, now, okay, okay Pastor Yell. now, how, how is this going to reconcile that we have just read that works is so much important for us that this two go hand in hand? Now, how many of you know that there are so many things that are famous uh, pairs, like Batman and Robin, Lone Ranger and what? Tonto, even the Lone Ranger has a tonto, right? Uh, kapit, gatas. <laughs> you know, you know, but when you talk about the book of James, it's faith, And works. Now don't get confused. You don't have to work for your salvation. We want to go ahead and revisit that and emphasize that as a church, we believe that we are solely saved by faith in Christ alone. Sola Fides, only by faith. Sola Gracias, only by grace. Sola Christos, only by Christ alone. We are saved only by the finished work of Christ alone on that cross. And there's nothing that we're going to question about. That. What is James talking about here? You know, Martin Luther, the founder of the reformist movement back in the day, you know, he was the one who actually you know, uh, hammered that 95 theses at the church, you know, talking about and protesting about the abuses of the church during that time, about the indulgences. And how the church at that time was using their customs and their uh, religion, so to speak, if I may use that term, in order to advance their own agenda. That somehow he was convinced and he was the one who said, and he was emphasizing what Romans uh, was saying, Paul was saying to the Romans, that the righteous shall live by faith. In fact, he was proposing during that time to remove the book of James from the canon of scriptures. I mean, he had so much conviction that there is nothing that we can do to add on to our faith in Christ. Now, why is the book of James included in the canon? And the book of James is talking about, you know, you gotta, you know, work and you gotta have work plus faith, you know. And so, he was looking at, you know, he was saying, you know, for for the gospel of John and the first episode of John, yes, that's very much acceptable, for the most part, the Pauline epistles, all the writings of Paul was very much acceptable. And then he went to the book of James and he called this book or this writing a straw epistle. For the others, he was talking about them as the major, as a strong epistles. But yet, when he referred to the book of James, he was saying that this is a, an epistle made of straw. It is, you know, we're not even sure if this should be here. But yet, The book of James is so clear. James, as he was writing this, he was not contradicting the the gospel that is being preached by the Apostle Paul. He is not contradicting that the justification comes solely by the work of Christ on the cross. What he's saying is he's challenging us Christians then and now, if you have faith, and how many of you have faith that you are saved? Please raise your hand. You have have faith, right? Right? It's one thing to proclaim that we have faith. You know, talk is cheap. That's why, you know, there's only talk, right? You know, in the in, in different plans right now. Talk is cheap. What is more difficult is to show the talk. You've got to walk the talk. And if we're saying that we're believers and we're saying that we're Christians, do the people around us see our Christianity or our faith in action? That's the whole point. That's the whole essence. Yes, you are saved. There's no question about your salvation and mine. But the question is, is our salvation effective in this world that we live in now? Salvation definitely is solely by grace. It cannot be earned. You cannot work for it. You cannot do it by indulgences. You cannot pay yourself to heaven. You cannot work yourself to heaven. It is solely received. It is a gift of God. Indeed, the just shall live by faith. It is solely by faith that you and I are saved. As you revisit, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's all read this out loud. 1, 2, 3. For it is what? By grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We know that we are saved through faith, solely by the work of Christ. But yet, this particular chapter did not end in verse 9. There's actually a verse 10. And in verse 10, what does it say? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reality of someone's profession of faith will be demonstrated by one's action. If you really believe in what you believe, then show it by the way you live your life. I mean, are we really Christians? I mean, if you're in your office and the people know that you are a believer and you are a Christian, how do you show your faith to them? Are you the one that actually uh, you know, comes, into work, comes to work early? Are you one who actually is a, uh, you know, a reconciler? Are you the one who readily forgives and you are offended? Or are you... The one who normally spreads gossip around in the office? Or are you the one who normally, you know, comes in late? Are you the one who does not even deliver the deliverables, you know, from the boss? And the boss knows that you're a Christian and yet you don't represent, you know, the, the gospel well. I mean, are we really showing the world how it is to live as a Christian? And the Apostle James is actually talking about this. And this is... An important aspect in our walk. James wants us to evaluate our Christianity. He wants us to go and he's zeroing in on what we really believe in. James wants us to be honest with our relationship with God. And if we're saying we're Christians and we're believers and we're, you know, we're, we're saying we're, we believe in God, we're saying that we are followers of Christ. Really, are we followers of Christ? You know, they looked at the top 100, uh, I think I shared this once, top 100 people uh, in the whole of history, and they actually graded who's the number one person, the most influential person of, of all time. It would have been Jesus, number one. However, because according to the survey, because the followers of Christ are not consistent with the teachings of Christ, Jesus was relegated to number three, and Muhammad was number one. There's so much of the world is looking at when you talk about Christianity. You know, when you talk about Christianity, yes, we can share the word, we can actually share the good news, but can we actually show the good news? Can we actually demonstrate the good news? We must be a people that deeply love the world, but at the same time, deeply hate the world. We love the world for what it is, and we love the world because God loved the world that He gave His Son for us, but yet we have nothing to do with the world, and that is exactly what James is also saying in his epistles, have nothing to do with the world. Do we love the world to the point that we are able to sacrifice and pray for the world and actually be part of an agent of change for the world? Do we love it to that point that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves and give up our resources in order for us to see change happening in the world? Following Jesus well makes us hate the world enough to change it. But it also makes us love the world to think it is worth changing. You know, we need to you know, put it in our hearts that yes, God has called us to be in the world, yet we are not of the world. There are two different things. You are there, but you're not really part of it. Amen. We are agents of change. In verse 17, we see this three times in the passage that we have just read. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. He's not confused. James is not confused about theology. James is trying to get us to be Christians of integrity. He wants our faith to be a faith of integrity. And you know what integrity means? Integrity means whole. Integrity comes from the word integer or integrated. It means that you know it's a it's a summation of the wholeness of the different parts. It's one and the same. He wants our faith to be integrated. He wants your speech to be integrated with your heart. He wants your heart to be integrated with your hands. He wants your hands to be integrated with your feet. That what you talk about is how you walk it out. Amen. And that's exactly what the book of James is saying. It's not a question of our salvation. It's a question of walking it out. It's a question of now showing the world who we really are. There has to be a consistency of our profession and our action. A consistency between our proclamation and our demonstration. Now, what does it mean for our faith to be dead? I mean, if, if he emphasized this and he wants faith to always be, you know, uh, translated with action, what does it mean for faith to be dead? Faith, number one, is faith without compassion is dead. If there's no compassion in our walk, then that faith that we are professing is dead. Last week, we talked about partiality, and partiality really is about having favoritism. Now, how many of you have more than one child? You have at least two children. Please raise your hand. Okay? How many of you have a favorite child? Don't raise your hand. You know, how many of you, okay, I'm just gonna ask questions here, okay? How many of you find it easy to love one child over the other? Don't you have to answer that now if you have only one child praise God that's your favorite child but if you have more than one child at least two children and one is so loving one is just so malambing, one is just so you know uh, obedient and the other one is hard-headed the other one is stubborn uh, and then you know for a fact that you should not show favoritism, right? But are we doing it? Do do we actually favor the easy child over the stubborn child? And yet God, in His compassionate and generous heart, we are all His favorites. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you are God's favorite. Act like it. The reason why there was a problem in the household of Jacob was because Joseph became his favorite. And he showed the other brothers that this son of his was his favorite. Special gifts, special clothing, special cloak, a coat of many colors that signifies authority. Can you imagine that? That's why we need to be careful with favoritism or partiality. And I realize that in our church, we're always encouraging small groups, right? How many of you are part of a small group? Please raise your hand. If you're not a part of a small group, we, have, we want to encourage you to be part of a small group. A small group is actually a group where you can actually nurture your walk with the Lord. It, you know the people around you in that group can help you pray with you, stand with you, uh, walk with you, uh, learn the Bible together with you. Okay, small groups are great, but the downside of it is if it becomes a clique or a clique group or an exclusive group. Not tai na lang, you know. And at least we're all the same, you know. And we find ourselves. Looking for people that are kinda like us. You know, how many of you, you know, feel comfortable belonging to a group that are similar to your interests, right? If you're all bikers, or you know, if you're all gym person, or if you're all moms or whatever, okay? But yet let's be careful that we become exclusive to the point of looking at other people because of the difference of status. In economics or in achievement, or so on and so forth. Partiality is the opposite of being integrated. When you become partial, you favor one person over the other because of, you know, the way he looks. The Greek word of partiality, by the way, is to look at the face, to observe the face, to stare at the face. You live a life. And judge people on the basis of how they look, what they have, who they know, which uh, you know school they came from, what family background they came from, the color of the skin, the family background. You and yet God treats us all the same. We need to be careful that we don't get you know trapped with partiality. Now. This verse in uh, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but it's not work? Can that faith save him? You know, there's no question about the salvation that we have once you put your faith in the Lord. But yet when what James is talking about is, can that kind of faith really show that we are a saved people? I mean, that's what he's saying. If you're professing that you're a Christian. And, you know, when you talk about, okay, how do we have works? Now, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, maybe... Ministry in church. You know, when we see this verse, we we ask ourselves, "Okay, pastor, how can we serve? Okay, can I volunteer in the kids' church, or can I go ahead and audition for the music ministry? Can I volunteer as an usher? Uh, can I actually, uh, you know, uh, be part of the prayer team, and so on and so forth? Uh, should I give more in the offering? Should I be a part of a victory group? Should I go on to mission?" So we we think about things that we can do in church. I mean, that's how we perceive this verse to be. But what is this verse talking about? In verse 12, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. And we talk about law. Law sometimes is looked at as, you know, uh, very uh, limiting. It's one that brings bondage. But yet, James was talking about a law that gives freedom. And what is this law that gives freedom? You know what the law that gives freedom is? It's the law of love. It's the law of love. It's the law of love that gives freedom. Remember the time when someone went to the Lord and asked, you know, among the Ten Commandments, what's the greatest command? And what did Jesus say? How did he answer? This is the greatest commandment ever. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest of all the commands. And yet, this command of love is a command of love. Of freedom, it's a law that gives freedom. Amen. How many of you, you know, if you're married, do you have to be commanded to love your wife or your children? If you have children, it is natural for us to express our love for one another. Amen. You know, just you know, being patient with one another, being forgiving to one another, and and I believe that as a married, uh, you know, as married people, you've already been offended. There are things that your spouse has done that ticked you off. And yet, how are we to respond to that action? Do we go and you know, just be bitter and be offended for many, for many, many days and treat that person with you know, like a silent treatment? Or are we quick to forgive? Are we quick to repent? Are we quick to turn away? James is talking about here, the love or the works works is the process of loving god and loving your neighbor as yourself. the real expression of works here in the book of james is that of love can that faith save him a faith without love james is moving inside our hearts and is asking what's inside the heart that claims that we love jesus but yet we don't love our neighbor many times we're saying yes we love god but yet jesus is saying And the second one, by the way, is just like the first. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. What is the evidence of our faith? And then he moved on in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And how many of you know people like that? You know, being in the Philippines, you don't have to look far. We have people around us that are always in need. Verse 16, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? And James is actually exposing the heart of believers and saying, okay, many times believers can be lazy or can be apathetic or can be lacking in compassion. It's an easy way to get out by saying, I'll pray for you. And how many of you have actually done that? I'll pray for you. You know, you have a Viber thread or you have a Messenger thread. You know, there's someone there who's asking for prayers, and said you said just prayed or praying. You responded by praying, and I hope that you did pray, right? And how many of you know that prayer is powerful? We believe in prayer, but the question is, after the amen, what are we doing after the amen? I mean, if you have the power to help the poor and the needy, go ahead and be an agent and an instrument of change and a blessing for that person. Amen. You know, it's so easy for us to just set aside things because we would justify and we would try to say, you know, I have needs as well. You know, I have other plans and I have priorities with with my bills. And yet, look at another person. Okay, God will provide. You've prayed for that person, you encourage it. No, don't worry. Don't. God will provide. Is it possible that God has blessed us so much to the point of us being a blessing to that person who's asking for help? Now, if you're on the other side, I don't want you to use this scripture or this verse as a weapon. And expect and have a sense of entitlement to the people, pastor. Prinich smuyan, okay? ilang You know, I have a need, pastor. Okay, give me some money. Now, if I have a, you know, if I have the capacity to do it, I'll do it. But if this is not an excuse for anyone to abuse this scripture and say and use that to people and manipulate the people in church. Don't get me wrong there. But for us, and I believe that the people here in Akasha particularly you guys are so generous and i have seen that you're generous in the way we have you know uh, advanced this, uh, the the movement the kingdom of god we've seen you uh you know give in missions we've seen you give in real life and we're so grateful for that but what about the people around us what about those who are you know uh, marginalized, and you know they don't have the opportunity to be able to get out of whatever situation they're in. Would you be willing to give? It's so easy to say, "Okay, go in peace. God bless you, bro." Let me just pray for you, Lord. Lord, provide. You know, and and that's great. But if you have the power to do it right there and then, would you go and do it? And it may not be in the area of finance. It may be in the area of talent. It may be in the area of time. It may be in the area of just a compassionate heart. Yesterday, as I was preparing for this message, I was being tested. If I will be apathetic, And I was talking about, you know, faith without works is that I'm meditating on the Word. And someone from the church called Shirley and asked, you know, I'm leaving for abroad. And I may not have the opportunity to sit down with you anymore. And this person went through a difficult time in her marriage. And she's asking for a short moment with us to sit down and just hear her out and maybe ask for counsel. My first tendency yesterday was I am busy. I have a lot of assignments in my master's program. I have a deadline. I have an ethnographic paper to write which is about 12 pages. I haven't started. I have a preaching to prepare and I need to find out if I am ready to preach today, and I have another session right after this, you know, uh, which is uh, you know meeting with the leaders, and I could actually justify and actually you know say you know so many excuses they're available, but God spoke to me and said, "Are you willing? If there's a person in need in your church, and you are the pastor Ariel, are you willing to go out of your comfort zone?" and show compassion to the people who are in need. And I told Shirley, let's do it. And we went out, we spent three hours with this lady. It was well spent. And I went back to the house and continued on with whatever I had to do. But in my heart of hearts, I said, I'm glad that I was able to be a blessing to others. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? You know, Moses was asked by the Lord, what do you have? I only have a staff. but well, That's more than enough. It's more than enough to show to Pharaoh about my glorious works. He was asking, the, he was, the boy had small fish and small bread. What do you have in your hand? Are we willing to share what we have in order for us to see this small thing become a blessing to many in our community and in our nation? The, the, the tendency of Christianity nowadays is we can actually be so comfortable in church and lack compassion with the world. Tahimik tayo Secondly, faith without conviction is dead. When you talk about faith, yes, faith that believes in Christ is the one that saves us. Yet if it lacks compassion, then it's dead, the Apostle James is saying. If it lacks conviction, it is also dead. Intellectual ascent is agreeing on our head but not translating how we live. We have certain theology. How many of you are theologians? Please raise your hand. Guess what? You are all theologians. Whether you know anything about the Bible, we have our own concept with God. We have our own belief system. We are all theologians. Some are good theologians. Some are bad theologians. But nonetheless, we are all theologians. What is our conviction? Agreeing on a set of Christian teaching is not enough. That's why James said this in verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Now, how many of you believe in one God? That's basic Christianity, amen. He's talking about the Shema. He's talking about, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And he was talking to the brothers scattered in the diaspora. He was addressing this letter to Christians. He's telling them, okay, you believe in one God, that's good. You've got the right theology. You've got the right mental asset. You've got the right belief. But even demons believe that. And they shudder. What about us? We believe that there's one God. How do we respond to the one God that we believe in? Do we really honor him as our Lord and Savior? Do we really honor his authority over our lives? Do we really honor his dominion over our lives? even demons believe that guess what you and the de- we and the demons are the same in terms of theology how many of you know that demons have the right theology even peter declared you are the son of god you are christ the son of god the demons before they were casted out by christ you are you know what do you have to do with us the son of god they know exactly who jesus was they've got the right theology But my question is, are the demons going to heaven? Mm. It's not about what you know. It's not about just what you believe. Because indeed, faith without deeds is dead. In verse 20, it says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is dead? Our theology may be right, But the demon's theology also is right. They believe in one God. They believe the Trinity. They believe the deity. They believe that Jesus died for for the world. James is not saying that we have a bad theology as long as we love people. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is in your good theology, you've got to translate that into action. He's saying that we need to be consistent with the theology that we believe because faith that doesn't change you is faith that is powerless to change. My question is, now that you are a Christian, a believer, what is the conviction of your faith? It's one thing to have a confession. It's another thing to live a conviction with God. Your life is not shaped by what you believe many times, but normally by what we love. You know, it's it's one thing to believe. It's another thing to love. You know, I believe that exercise is good for me, right? I believe that with all my heart. But why is it not working? Because I love bacon more than exercise, you know? There's something about believing, and even the demons have that. You know, when you talk about belief, many times our belief is stuck in our head. Unless the belief... Or the conviction goes down to your heart, then it's not enough. But once it gets to your heart, then it becomes now an issue of love. The reason why we come to church is not because it's an obligation every Sunday. The reason why we spend time together as a community and the reason why we want to come here in the area of worship is not because you know it's something that is required of us by God, no. But yet we wake up in the morning and we say, we love God and we worship for the audience of one. And that's the exact motivation of what we have. Love is a powerful emotion. I believe that James is talking about your action translated in the area of love. The reason why I serve my wife is because it's not its not because it's required, but it's because I love her and I'll do anything to please her. Tama ba in love? Yes. You know, from time to time, you know, some of our friends will say, because, you know, it's just like automatic for me. If we're in a dinner time or, you know, if we're having lunch, I would be the one to serve my wife. I'm not expecting my wife to serve me. I'll be the one to get water for my wife. I'll be the one to serve her. I'll be the one to get whatever. I'm just used to that. For the past 28 years, I've been programmed to think about serving my wife. Because many times when you talk about marriage, we expect the women to do that for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me as a man, I've gotten used to that. Why? Because... You know, the message of Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, it's just a peg for me or a template for me that if Christ gave his life for us on that cross, how much more should I serve my wife in the littlest thing that I can actually do to serve her? That's the model of marriage that we have. Conviction should be translated into action. What are you believing in God for? When you talk about forgiveness, we know that Jesus forgave us. And you have been forgiven of your sins. Now, if someone offends you, are you also quick to forgive? We know that Christ loves us and he gave himself for us. Does this love translate from our experience with God to our experience with others? Are we loving them? As well. The demons believe in Jesus, but yet they are still demons. And yet, if we say that as Christians and as believers we believe in God, what is the change in your life? Do the people around us see the change and the conviction that we are saying? Is there A transformation. I believe that genuine faith is a faith that transforms. Amen. That you are no longer your old self. And the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, we're familiar with that verse, the old is gone and the new has come. But is that a reality in our life? Can the people around you really attest to the fact that you have changed? Now that you're a Christian, do you still shout at your maids? Do you still shout at the security guards downstairs or in you know the waiters in the restaurant? Or do you treat them with respect and honor? Do you say thank you for their service? I mean, it's, it's, it's a practical living. It's not just about us giving money to the poor. When you talk about the book of James, the book of James is talking about are you really believing in your confession as your conviction? Or is it just dead faith? I hope that we will come out of this place really th- searching our hearts and saying, God, help me to walk my talk as Christians. My last point. Faith without compassion is dead. You got to be kind to others. You got you to gotta, you gotta show yourself of you know, service to others. Faith without conviction is dead. What part of your life needs to be changed? And let's ask the Lord, Lord, you know, as I come before you every single day, my life before you is under the microscope. And may your spirit change me. How many of you know it's hard to change yourself? It's harder to change your wife or your husband. It's not your work or your responsibility to do that. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And you may be hearing this state in this sermon, and say, okay, you can. This is for my wife, or this is for my. No, this is for us. In your office, as I said, there. You know, if you transferred to another company, for example, and you moved out of that office, will your office mates miss you as a Christian? Oh, oh that person. Wow, he's he's always here every day. He's praying, encouraging us, sending us. You know, encouraging notes. Will they miss you when you're gone? Or will they say, Buti na lang walana yun. kismosang yon, Grabe. Will they rejoice that you are gone? Or will they hope that you would stay? You know, back in the day, when the Roman Empire was sweeping across you know, the greater Asia, Asia Minor and the greater Asia, you know, basically Israel and the, the early Christians were under Rome. And though they were persecuted, what they would do is they would do acts of compassion and acts of kindness even to the poor in the Roman society. The Romans, every time there's a plague, there's a, uh, you know, a tragedy or a trial or a challenge, they would leave. That particular city and move out into another location but the christians would stay there and minister to those who are in need they would minister to those who are sick they would minister to those who are abandoned they let their christianity work out by showing to the world that we don't just believe in christ but we also express it through kindness and that's how you know the roman empire according to history has fallen to christianity because of the act of kindness of the church during that time. If you study history in, in uh, communism, what Lenin did initially was he actually allowed religious freedom to still stay in communist Russia. But one particular demand that he made to the churches during that time is that you cannot express your good works or your good deeds in the neighborhood around you, you can preach. That's fine, but you cannot show acts of kindness. Guess what? It took them 70 years and the work of the church is gone in Russia because of lacking of compassion in the community. It was a diabolical plan of Lenin during that time, but today the church is losing by default because we actually went back to being apathetic and we're not doing what we can do to serve the people that we're called to serve. Faith without commission is dead. We want a safe Christianity. You know, sometimes we just want to stay in our comfort zone. We want to stay in the back. We don't want Christianity that rocks our boat. You know, but how many of you know that many times when Jesus Christ says, Jesus is Lord, I am Lord over your life, he will demand everything in our life? Amen. Whatever it is that we don't want to give to him, that's exactly what he's demanding from us. And Christianity, I believe, is, you know, you can't really be a Christian unless you are commissioned out. That is where we see the great commission. And this is not a mission's message. This is part of Christianity. Normally, we want to stay in our comfort zone, but Jesus is commissioning us to be a church, to be a blessing to the world. To commission or to be commissioned is to be part of a group of people particularly charged with a particular function. And I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to put our faith into action as a church. And we're doing that in different ways or means in communities and all. James then used two stories to remind us that we are commissioned and not just to be comfortable. He used the story of Abraham in James chapter 2 verse 20. It says, do you want to be shown?" You foolish person that faith apart from uh, works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Now, how many of you are familiar with the story of Abraham? Abraham, you know, was uh, an old man already. Sarah, his wife, was barren. It was, you know... He was 90 years old. When he he was about 75, God gave him a promise you're going to have a son. 75 years old. Have you actually heard of anyone at 75 becoming pregnant? But yet, God gave a promise. And how many of you know when God gives a promise, he's faithful to fulfill that promise? But yet, Abraham became impatient with a promise. So he helped God. Lord, you know, look at me. (laughs) Look at me. Look at this body. Look at my wife. (laughs) 65 years old, my wife. I'm 75. So what they did was, okay, maybe you can actually have your lineage or my lineage through Hagar. And he sinned by having Ishmael. And yet, Ishmael was not the child of promise. It was Isaac. And Isaac finally was born when he was about 90 years old. Are you ready to have your first child at 90 years old? But yet, Abraham had Isaac, and he was his only son, the son of promise. But yet, why did God ask Abraham to go and sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. You see, the person is justified by works. And not by faith. And so you see that that particular story, Isaac was you know, brought by Abraham to Mount Moriah. And he even asked Isaac to carry the wood. Can you imagine? You're going to be the one to be sacrificed. Isaac was carrying the wood at the altar of Mount Moriah. And we see this story in Genesis chapter 22. Then Abraham said to his young men, those servants who came with them, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and what? Come again to you. He was declaring that though God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, that from that mountain they will come down and he will still bring his son Isaac alive together with him. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God so much to the point of, Lord, whatever it is that you are telling me to do, I'm going to obey. Because I know who you are. And I know you are a God who's faithful. And I know you are a God of promise. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his Isaac, Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to Abraham, or his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? Apparently, Abraham did not tell Isaac that he is going to be the lamb of sacrifice. Can you imagine that? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Twice in four verses, we see the statement, they went both of them together. Abraham was declaring to his servants, we're going to come back here and meet you after the sacrifice. And you know what happened. On that mountain, when he was about to sacrifice his son, God said, stop, can you imagine if Abraham... Was Maggulatin, stop here, yes, Lord! You know, He would have stabbed his son Isaac. But yet the angel stopped Abraham, and you know, behind the thicket was a, la- or a ram, and he said, use that ram as a sacrifice. You know, God is not a human massacre god, but yet he was demanding a burnt offering from Abraham for the sins that he has done in the past. And he knew for a fact that he himself will provide the sacrifice for that particular time. Active obedience demonstrates that our faith is genuine. Will you obey God when he commissions you to the point of sacrificing what you have because you believe that this is a God who loves us? Yet 2,000 years right after Abraham and Isaac went up to Mount Moriah. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was carrying the wooden cross on exactly the same mountain, Mount Moriah. And he himself was commissioned by God and he obeyed his faith and his action was working together. Jesus could have said, okay, just pray and I'll forgive you. I don't have to go down on earth to you know, sacrifice myself for you guys. Just go and you know, continue sacrificing and eventually I'll just absolve you from all your sins, no? He is God's only begotten son. He became the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That is why we see that in the life of Abraham, we see that in the life of Christ. Faith without action is dead. Maybe we need to examine ourselves this morning on how it is for us to show our faith to others. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Martin Luther said this after examining closely the book of James, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We know that when God saves us, it is accompanied by us proving to the world that we are Christians and believers representing His name. Our faith in Christ should always be proven by our work for Christ. Let's all bow our heads right now. Father God, we just repent for first of all, for being apathetic many times, for not caring enough, for not being compassionate enough to the people around us. If we have been guilty of the sin of partiality, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. Lord, don't hold us accountable for what we have done, but we're asking for your forgiveness. You have not been partial to us, God. You have given your best to us. When Jesus Christ went to that cross, He was no respecter of persons. He went in faith. Not counting all men's sin against them, but He went there and He sacrificed Himself so that we can all be forgiven. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our faith. Not just out of profession, but Lord, couple it with action, Lord. May we maybe live a faith, Lord God, that is full of conviction, that we that this same faith is able to change us from the inside out, Lord. That this faith is able to represent you well wherever we are, whether it's in our workplace, our school, our, our, our neighbor, our family, our household, Lord. May our walk represent the talk that we have. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have commissioned everyone, Lord, You're commissioning this church to obey. You're commissioning this church to go out and be a blessing to the people around us. Indeed, Lord, I thank you that we will respond as a church. May this message not only be stuck in our heart or in our notebook, but Lord, may it be expressed through our hands and through our feet, Lord God. May we not only be hearers of the word, but may we all be doers of the word of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.